Hello, and welcome to the Bible Difficulties and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Smith. Today, we dive into an extremely problematic verse. Light appeared one day, but the sun, moon, and stars were created. It appears another day. And as you would expect, there are varying interpretations as to what this problematic verse means and its solution. We'll explore some different Bible translations of this verse and deal with some rather, one would say, uh, unique names as well in this podcast. As usual, I'll present a number of different opinions from my research and conclude with my own thoughts. As an aside, this is why I wanted to do this podcast format, you know, not shying away from tough Bible verses. So let's ferret these out and learn together as we move through the Bible. Show notes will include links to all we discuss. Are you ready to dive in? I am. Genesis 1.14, and as always, we're going to be using the New Living Translation. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. That's the verse. Now the problem, and again, we go back to the big book of Bible difficulties here. The sun was not created until the fourth day, yet there was light on the first day from Genesis 1-3. And again, let's go back to Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light, and there was light on the first day of creation. Now we come to day four here in verse 14, and God creates lights, and that's plural lights, to appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. It's in essence the sun and the moon. For my research, we have basically three arguments here to provide a potential solution to this issue of the sun and the moon appearing three days after the creation of light. So let's get into these. The first is astrology as an explanation to counteract other cultures' worship. And again, the first argument here is going to be dealing with astrology. The New Revised Standard Version of the Bible mentions this in the commentary, and it quotes here, Here, God's creation of the heavenly lights on the fourth day corresponds to the creation of light, day and night, on the first. In a critical response to non-Israelite cultures who worship these heavenly bodies, the bodies are not named and are identified as mere timekeepers. And then closing that quote. It seems that this verse may have been directed to other cultures who worship celestial objects. And the writer of Genesis was saying, no, they are not objects to be worshipped. They are created by God to serve as timekeepers for man. Now, atheists pounce upon this to create some doubt upon the creation story as it's detailed in Genesis 1. As an example of this tactic, I want us to look at this example, and it's from an article entitled, In a Refutation of Chayara's S's Book, The Christ Conspiracy. And this is by Michael Lacona, July 8th, 2015. Dr. Lacona is an associate professor of theology at Houston Christian University. Now, you may be wondering who or what is an Acharya S. Now, Acharya S, she's a skeptic with an interest in mythology who wrote a book entitled The Christ Conspiracy, The Greatest Story Ever Sold. Now, this book presents a hypothesis of how Christianity came into being. Now, Acharya means either guru or teacher, but her actual name is D. Murdoch. And from this article, I quote, and this is kind of a long quote. She, and this is Acharya S. or D. Murdoch, claims that the Bible teaches the signs found in the stars and quotes Genesis 1.14 in the original KGV, the original King James Version. And it says here, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Close the quote. She says that this verse basically describes the zodiac. 
However, modern translations present, I think, a more accurate translation. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. That's the New International Version. This is also how prominent Hebrew dic dictionaries understand it as well. Now, Dr. Richard Patterson is an Old Testament scholar who has specialized in ancient Semitic languages during his career. He was involved in the translations of the uh, New Living Translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and is currently working on the revision of the New International Version. He's written close to 150 journal articles, critical reviews, and Hebrew dictionary entries. Concerning Genesis 1.14, Dr. Patterson comments, the KJV, King James Version, translates this verse in a wooden sense. However, if we want to understand the original sense of the Hebrew, the NIV and NLT, that's the New International Version and New Living Translation, provide a more accurate rendering. Moreover, a look at the occurrences of this word throughout the Old Testament reveals that it's not used in the sense of astrological signs even one time outside of this one verse in question. So it's interesting to note that the equivalent Greek word here, shemian, is never used in the sense of an astrological sign in the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was very popular among Hebrews and early Christians, although the word does appear 123 times. So what does the Bible say about astrology? This is an article by Matt Slick continuing on this discussion. This is from July 20th, 2016. And what Mr. Slick says is, we can see from the text that the celestial bodies are part of the created order of God. Therefore, they are under his control. God is sovereign over them, and we should seek him and not his creation for wisdom and direction in our lives. Also, we can see that God gave us the celestial bodies for signs and for seasons to give light and to separate the light from the darkness. Nothing in the text that describes God's creation and explanation for his creation suggests that we should look at the stars for guidance, closing the quote. So back to me, in regards to an astrological argument, I think it makes some sense as a refutation to other cultures, uh, but to me, it does not appear to be the main focus of what this verse is telling us. So let's take a look at the second explanation. And this is, is God the source of light for the first three days? And now this is a solution that carries some theological weight. And then we'll go back and refer to a podcast favorite of ours, Dr. William Lane Craig, from his post, Creation and Evolution, Part 4. And this is from May 15, 2013, and I quote Dr. Craig here. But I think if in Genesis 1.14, when it talks about lights, in the Hebrew, that is light bearers. So I think it's important that the light was created before the light bearers. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is seen in visions as light. And then in Revelation, it talks about the new earth, that there will be no sun, moon, and stars because God will provide the light. So I don't think that is a problem that the light was created before the sun and moon and stars. Also, it says that they were created as signs of the days and years. So it seems days and years could have existed before the sun, moon, and stars because God had already established what those were. A sign can only be of something that was already established beforehand. So I don't think there's a problem with him having decided days and years before the sun, moon, and the stars were there to help us mark it. Closing the quote. Now, this figurative reading of the days one and four of Genesis seemed to be in line with Revelation 21, 23. And I'm going to go to the New Living Translation here. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, 
and the lamb is its light. Close a quote. Now, to me, however, while I would never doubt the glory of God's illumination or the light of the lamb, my reading tells me we are speaking of something, I believe, much more specific in Genesis 1.14. And that carries us to our third explanation here, and that is creation is finally visible. Now, let's go back again to the big book of Bible difficulties for its solution. And quoting here from the book, the sun is not the only source of light in the universe. Further, the sun may have existed from the first day, but only appeared or became visible, as the mist cleared, on the fourth day. We see light on a cloudy day, even when we can't see the sun. Closing the quote. Now, again, I'm going to go back to William Lane Craig, and this is from a different article. It's a Q&A on creation and evolution, part two, from April 28, 2013. And the question that a person asked Dr. Craig was this. And I quote, in Genesis 1.3, he says, let there be light. In Genesis 1.14, he says, let there be lights. The first light that they are talking about, what light is that? That is not the sun and it's not the moon. Dr. Craig goes on to answer with the following. That is part of the difficulty with the literal interpretation. If days are literally 24-hour days, how can they be that if there is no sun? If the sun isn't created until the fourth day. That is why I said even those that espouse a literal interpretation typically back away at this point and say, well, the sun wasn't literally created on the fourth day. That light that you were talking about in verse three was really the sun, but it was eclipsed by a very heavy cloud canopy, and it was only on the fourth day that it became visible. So this would be one of those indications, I think, that we're dealing with something that should not be pressed for literal precision, or we get into this very difficult question that you just asked. The question arises precisely as a result of interpreting it literally, closing the quote. So again, what Dr. Craig is uh, suggesting here is that the, if we take a literal interpretation, that the sun and moon and stars were already created, and we're seeing those now on day four. Let's continue on with this explanation, and this is coming from a book review from Luke Nix. It's entitled Navigating Genesis, a scientist's journey through Genesis 1 through 11 by Hugh Ross. And this is from July 19, 2014. Nix writes, because of the common misconception that the fourth day describes the creation of the sun and the moon, Dr. Ross takes the reader back to the original Hebrew language and explains that the different word used in Genesis 1:14, as opposed to the word used in verse 1, actually means a revealing of what had already been created not a whole new creative act. He goes on to explain that the transformation of the atmosphere not only revealed the sun, moon, and stars, which is required for advanced life, but it also prepared the atmosphere to prevent deadly levels of the sun's ultraviolet rays from reaching the Earth's surface and regulate atmospheric chemistry. And this is via the ozone and different atmospheric layers. All of this is done in preparation for God's next creative act. Closing the quote. Back to me. The creation is finally visible makes the most sense as God prepared our atmosphere to enable life. And then on the fourth day, the sun, moon, and stars are now visible as the creation act unfolds. His specific words in the text were, let lights appear in the sky. This wording leads me to believe that the lights were already there and now they could appear in the sky to us. So what do you think? Do you agree with me that the creation is finally visible explanation makes the most sense? Or are you convinced by the God is a source of light for three days? Or the astrology, astrology explanation to counteract other cultures' worship 
better explains this verse? Or is there even a better explanation not covered in today's podcast? Write in and let me know. I'd love to read your thoughts. Next week, we're going to take a look at Genesis 1.26. Why does the Bible use the plural us when God refers to himself? You may reach us at our website, bibledifficultiesandanswers.podbean.com, or you may reach out to me directly at our email address, bibledifficultiesandanswers at gmail.com. With any questions, comments, concerns, fits of righteous indignation, or just to say hi. Also, please like and subscribe to this podcast and also write a review and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or your podcast venue of choice. It really does help get the word out about the most amazing book ever written. Again, I'm Lance Smith. Until next time, I wish you good luck, good health, and God bless. So long, everybody.